From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Some patients with HIV take daily pills to manage their condition, but a newly approved medication may allow some of those patients the option of a monthly injection instead. Here to talk with me about treatments for HIV is Dr. Elizabeth Asiago Reddy. She's an associate professor of medicine who specializes in infectious disease and the care of people with HIV. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Reddy. Good morning, Amber. How are you? Well, let's begin with a quick review of treatment options for people with HIV. Can you tell us how do people typically discover that they're infected with HIV? What are the symptoms? Sure. Well, that's really important because actually most people don't have symptoms for quite some time um, or they don't recognize their symptoms. So when someone first becomes infected, they may have a quote unquote flu-like illness with fever, rash, fatigue, um, GI symptoms, that type of thing. And that can go away pretty quickly over the course of a, of a few days. Um, certainly now someone might go get COVID tested if they had symptoms like that. Um, and then once that initial infection symptom set has resolved, then many people don't have any symptoms at all for years. So it's critical for people to test if they've had any risk exposures that they're concerned about. And also New York State recommends that every single person be tested at least once in their lifetime for HIV starting from age 13 on. Um, and then also if you have any new risks that you should test annually. So that's really the main way that people would find out that they have HIV is through testing. So it's a blood test? Is that how that works? Correct. Typically, um, most of the tests that we're doing are blood tests. The blood tests tend to be the most highly accurate, but there are saliva tests available. Um, those ones are accurate about two to three months after an exposure, whereas the blood tests are accurate within three weeks after an exposure. Um, and a saliva test can actually be purchased at a local pharmacy, and you can do that at home as well. So that gives an additional okay. um, private option for people who prefer not to go into a clinical setting or who don't have a provider. Now, HIV is the virus that causes AIDS. Do we have medications that would prevent AIDS from developing? Absolutely. So our new paradigm for HIV treatment is to start as soon as possible after someone is diagnosed, um, even within the first day of diagnosis. That was a big shock to a lot of people when we first started thinking about it that way, but actually it's gone surprisingly well. Um, and in my experience, the patients who I've worked with are very willing to do this. Uh, it, it's a lot to take in, but what happens is that once people start treatment right away, it really keeps them engaged and it's better for their health. And we find that it's much less likely that people will be lost to follow up. So given that initial shock when someone first finds out their HIV positive diagnosis, there may be a temptation for some people to react to that by receding into the background and just saying, I can't deal with this. Um, and what happens is that when you start medication immediately, it keeps, it, it reminds people, hey, this is totally treatable. Number one, I can tolerate the treatment and now I need to do something to follow up and make sure I stay on treatment. So that's what we do now. We start, we start treatment immediately. And the typical treatment that we're starting right now is one pill once a day for the vast majority of people who are newly diagnosed with HIV. Um, and those pills are incredibly well tolerated. And how well does it work to keep AIDS from developing? Extremely well. So it's, it's really rewarding to do the work that I do from the perspective of how confident I am when I meet someone who's newly diagnosed that the treatment will be effective. 
So certainly um, some people still test late in the course of their diagnosis. And so some people actually may already be sick with severe signs of immune deficiency at the time of diagnosis. Those individuals now, again, still have outstanding outcomes as they get treated and they recover. Um, but if people have not reached the stage where their immune system has really shown itself to be significantly weakened um, and they go ahead and start their medications, then it absolutely 100% these medications pre prevent them from developing AIDS or any other, you know, what we these days, I often have really um, moved away from talking about AIDS and just talked about signs of immune deficiency. Are there side effects from taking these medications? These days, across the board, the starting medications that we have for HIV are incredibly well tolerated. I can honestly say that compared to almost any other type of medication that I prescribe these days, these are some of the best tolerated. Most of my patients starting medications literally have no symptoms of the medication. They have no toxicities, no side effects um, from those single pill regimens. They do really well. Um, one of the things that you brought up and that obviously we'll be talking about today is injectables and um, it is difficult still for some people to remember to take a pill every day and or some people just really don't like the process of physically taking a pill that's disturbing to them and um, it's difficult for them to swallow pills. Um, so there are some other options that are coming down the line. So the FDA in January approved a uh, new medication Cabinuva, is that how you say it? Yep. Well, what can you tell us about this medicine? So Cabinuva is an intramuscular injection. So it goes into the gluteal muscles, which are on your backside, um, which is alarming to some people, but obviously not to everyone. So it's an injectable medication um, for HIV that's made up of two different medications. Um, so we have for a long time known that a cocktail or combination of medications works best to treat HIV because uh, having a combination of medications helps to prevent the virus from developing resistance. So Cabinuva is a combination of two different medications that are given once a month as an intramuscular injection into the gluteal muscles. And then patients during the interim period of time before they come back for their next injection do not have to take any pills at all for HIV. So who is this really designed for? Is anyone with HIV a candidate for this? So at this point, the medication is approved for people who have already been suppressed on their current HIV regimen. So that means that um, the patients actually need to be stable with their HIV at the point they're starting the Cabinuva. Again, this might change in the future where we have it approved for people who are first starting medications. But at this point, um, we're looking at this treatment for people who are currently taking pills for their HIV and their HIV is well controlled. And by well controlled, we mean that their viral load is less than 50 copies per mil, which we consider to be undetectable. So additionally with the Cabinuva at this point, as you can imagine, the uh, when you're injecting something into someone that has a very long half-life, meaning that's going to last in their system for a long time, we want to make sure that they're not allergic to that medication before they get that injection, right? Because if they have any kind of allergic reaction and it's in their system for an entire month or longer, then obviously that could be very disturbing to them. Um, so what is at this point, um, Cabinuva has an what's called an oral lead-in 
meaning that you would take a month of medications by pill before switching to the injectables. That allows people to make sure that they're tolerating this medication before they switch to the long acting um, so that they don't have, like I said, bad side effects with something on board for a long period of time in their body. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Elizabeth Asiago Reddy. She's an associate professor of medicine at Upstate who specializes in infectious disease and the care of people with HIV. Now, we've talked about this new medication, Cabinuva. Are there other long acting HIV medications on the horizon? There are. It's definitely a field that's moving forward. So, this is the first one to be FDA approved. Uh, in the U.S., and of note, Cabinuva was previously FDA approved or the similar um, regulatory body in Europe, several European countries, as well as Canada. So they do have additional experience with Cabinuva in different locations throughout the world. But there are other studies going on. I would say the closest is um, it is a couple of compounds that are being researched by Merck, which will be offered likely for once weekly pill therapy. So still a pill, but something that you'd only have to take once a week as opposed to taking it every day. Um, and there are also studies looking at implants, both for potentially HIV treatment as well as prevention. So there are a number of different fronts moving forward with longer acting medications. And there are some others that are in earlier stages of research as well. So I, I think it's a whole movement forward um, and it's it's a new paradigm and way of thinking about HIV treatment that might be particularly helpful to some patients who um, have either a very difficult time taking a pill every day, or some patients also psychologically struggle with taking that daily pill because of how it makes them feel and reminds them of the fact that they're living with HIV, and or uh, there are patients who really fear stigma from people they live with, others they're close to, and this may seem like a more private option for them to not have to have that daily pill bottle around with them. Well, I'd like to ask you about pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP. This is the medication that protects people who are HIV negative from getting HIV, right? Correct. Yes. So are these pills or do they have an injection available for PrEP? So currently, the available options for PrEP, which is medication, as you said, to prevent getting HIV for people who are at high risk, currently pills are what we have. However, there is a, um, there is a study that came out within the last year that looked at cabotegravir. So as I had mentioned with Cabinuva, there are two different medications in that. Those two medications are cabotegravir and rolpivirine. And the cabotegravir component has also been looked at for PrEP as a long-acting PrEP injectable option. In the study that was done uh, in South Africa and another international study, it showed that the risk of, of acquiring HIV for people who had been randomized to the um, cabotegravir arm was significantly lower than people randomized to the pill arm resulting in actually in both cases, the data safety and monitoring board stopping those studies early because they indicated such a greater deal of protection for people randomized to the injectable arms. So the, uh, the FDA has not yet approved cabotegravir for PrEP, but it's something that may 
likely be on the line very soon. And the studies looked at every eight weeks rather than every month. Um, and that's something as well that may be changed for Cabanuva is that it, it may be extended to an eight week as we gather more data about it. So I think the, the critical piece uh, with both sets of the long actings, both for HIV treatment as well as for HIV prevention, is that as we said, because these medications stay in the body for long periods of time, they have what's called um, a pharmacokinetic tail. What that means is that if someone stops using those injections, they still have that medication on board in their body for a fairly long period of time on the order of months to approximately a year. It's at declining levels. So the level stays in the body, but it goes down and down and down and down over time. So what that means is that if someone is no longer opting to continue with the injections, let's say, let's talk about PrEP, because I think that's where this is to me especially critical. Um, if someone has opted to take injections for PrEP and everything's going fine and they say, hey, you know what, my life has changed. I don't think I need this medication anymore. I'm going to stop. You know, I'm maybe no longer at risk for HIV at this point. So they stop. Now, that medication will stay in their system at low levels for, like I said, up to about a year. And if, again, something changes and that person is now exposed and becomes infected with HIV, there is a small risk of them becoming resistant to that medication. So that makes sense because um, as we treat HIV, one critical piece is that we need to have drugs that are present in combination and at high enough levels to knock the virus out. So if you have a low level of a single medication in your system at the time you acquire HIV, there is a good chance that you could become resistant to that medication. That doesn't mean you, you can't have your HIV treated, but it does mean that it might complicate which treatment regimens are available to you. And some of the most simple and easy regimens to take may no longer be available because of drug resistance. So I think that that's one of the pieces that is kind of a warning sign for PrEP is that there needs to be very clear communication about what it means when you decide to stop these injectable medications. So it's outstanding prevention. It works especially well for the highest risk people who really have such a high risk of getting HIV that we're trying to get them through that critical period in their lives. So this was studied in South Africa and young South African women fall into that category in many cases. Um, how this will fare for, um, for PrEP in the US, I think is, is still something that we're gonna see over the next, I would guess, year to two years. So PrEP is still kind of relatively new. Has it been in use long enough in America for us to know whether it's having an impact on the number of cases, the number of new cases diagnosed? Yeah, that's a great question. So it um, PrEP has been available now pretty, it's been increasing since about 2014, 2015, when there was a much larger push and, and FDA approval of the common medication used for PrEP. And um, what we've seen is that the uptake of PrEP has been spottier in certain places and more vigorous in other places. So the states that have really dedicated themselves to advancing the cause of PrEP and covering it with insurance, advertising it, making sure that providers are educated about it, and those states include New York, uh, Illinois, California, those states have continued to see declining incidence of HIV. 
Now, there are other aspects of programs that have been put into place to try and prevent HIV cases from occurring. So can we strictly say that um, the decline in new HIV cases was prep-related? We can't say for sure, but it, it does show that, that a combined approach that includes PrEP can really result in a significant reduction in HIV incidence. So certainly we've seen that in New York. We had a three-pronged approach starting in 2014 to try and reduce new cases of HIV in New York State, and PrEP was part of that. Um, so more widespread testing, better treatment and linkage to care, and better use of PrEP were the, the major prongs of the New York State approach, and that has been very effective. So New York State was on track before COVID hit to meet uh, a lot of the benchmarks that we put into place with respect to reducing the numbers of new cases of HIV we're seeing in the state. Um, the other thing I'll say uh, um, related to PrEP is that some other locations throughout the world that have had very vigorous PrEP programs are really uh, a lot of emphasis on PrEP, very easy access to PrEP, um, paid for by either insurance or national health plans, include the UK and Australia. And there have been uh, good studies to show that the increased use of PrEP in those areas has been directly responsible for um, part of the decreased cases that they've been seeing. So it, it does look like it's a very effective intervention uh, but it requires the proper infrastructure and uh, advertisement awareness and follow-up. So do you have patients who are participating in a study about Cabinuva to see if it can be given less frequently? Yes, we have just started uh, screening. So we're, we have patients who are seeing whether they're eligible for the study and then if they are eligible, we'll go ahead and randomize them to a study that's looking at either continuing their pills, their once daily pills. Um, in this case, they have to be on a combination pill called Victarvi, that's the brand name, um, or they would switch to the Cabinuva, and that would be looking at taking Cabinuva as an injectable every eight weeks as opposed to every four. We follow those patients for a year within the, within the context of the study, and then they would actually switch, they would be given the option for those who were randomized to continue on their pills, they'd be given the option to switch to the eight weekly injectables for the following year. So for the second year of the study, um, anyone who was doing well and wanted to carry on with the study on injectables would be able to do so. Thank you to Dr. Elizabeth Asiago-Reddy, an Associate Professor of Medicine at Upstate who specializes in infectious disease and the care of people with HIV. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.